the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing to use, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is today, not when you actually have the emergency. Uh, Today, I am excited to be speaking with Nancy Halpern from Political IQ. For more than 20 years, Nancy has helped executive executives, teams, divisions, and entire organizations focus on what matters most and how to get it done. Her client list uh, includes cutting-edge industries and functions uh, ranging from the Fortune 500 to hedge funds to startups, and include Bank of America, Condé Nast, Ogilvy & Mather, PwC, uh, Pfizer, Disney, Columbia University, and many others. Nancy has been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Financial Times, NPR, Inc. Magazine, Fortune, Fast Company, Forbes, and many, many others. Um, I'm very excited to welcome Nancy to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Nancy, welcome. Well, Stephen, thank you for that warm welcome. I actually began my career in nonprofit after college. So it feels uh, very fitting to be talking about this with you today. Well, uh, and also you worked with Columbia University as well. So that could, you know, kind of uh, would move into that nonprofit sector as well. So, so uh, you know, today's topic um, is, is, is a very good topic. Um, you know, I do have a lot of consultants who come on the Nonprofit MBA uh, podcast. And, you know, I think it's an important topic because, in in uh, in today's day and age, hiring a consultant should be a big part of your process um, uh, if you are running a nonprofit. So again, today's topic is how to hire a consultant for your nonprofit. And so, you know, right off the bat, uh, Nance, uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about you know when you when you think about hiring a nonprofit, you know, what are the first thing that should come to your mind? When I think about hiring a consultant for my nonprofit? Yes. Right. Well, the reason I'm hesitating is because I actually had wanted to start with something else, which is that Columbia isn't my only nonprofit. Oh. Um, no, no, no. But I, I actually often turn nonprofit work down, meaning I will have, I've worked for, with several nonprofits. And as I said, I came, I ran a ballet company. I worked for the Boston Symphony. I had a long career in nonprofit before I got my MBA. I will tell every nonprofit who reaches out to me to potentially hire me that they don't want me, that I am not the person that they should be speaking with. And sometimes they just ignore that. In fact, usually they do. And they say, no, 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 no. Your background's really interesting. We really want you in the mix. And sure enough, they never hire me which is a good thing. And so why should they not hire me? Well, I'm going to use that as an intro to your question. 
The first thing that comes to mind for most nonprofits, I would argue, is not the first thing that should come to their mind, which is budget. That's the first point. How much money do they have? And then what they find out is they don't actually know what the market rate might be. So they start talking to people and there's disconnect between what they have and what they want. Mm. And so what I would actually suggest is that's not where you should begin at all. And well, I was pausing to see if you, you know, if you had something. Yeah, well, so let me, so let me be clear what you're, you're saying to our listeners. You should, you should know how much money you have in the budget for a consultant or you shouldn't worry about that. Well, you should definitely worry about it. Right. But I guess what I'm suggesting is you start someplace else. You oh yeah, 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 yeah. Really refining what the problem is you're trying to solve. Well, you know, listen. I think don't you think that if a consultant comes on board, regardless if it's for a nonprofit or a business, that they should end up paying for themselves? Well, more than that, of course. But I yeah. think the problem that I've seen with a lot of clients is they don't always know what they want. They just want a problem to either be prevented or to go away. Right. But that doesn't right. mean they know what's, what they really want out of it. And the better sense you have of what you want the end result to look like, the better, the better the success of your investment and the better the success of you're going to hire the right person to help you. Yeah. I, uh, would, you, would, you, would you suggest that sometimes it's the role of the consultant to help, your, uh, help you narrow that focus down or no? Well, I'm happy for someone to pay me for that. But I think if we get back to the reality of nonprofit life, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to contradict myself. Budget is absolutely, obviously important to everyone. But when your resources are limited, then I think you should have to use them wisely. So what I'm, I'm suggesting is, you know, be at the board, be at the executive director, being at both in consultation, being a subcommittee of the board. You try to figure out what your objectives are. And what your desired outcomes are in any consulting hire, right? Because we're talking about how you actually hire someone. So I think that's where you begin to sketch out what it would be and to be as specific as you can be about what those objectives, goals, and outcomes might be. Yeah, you're making a great point. Um, It's almost like when you, you know, if you... Once you learn how to hire really good people for your organization, you, you have to start off by having a great job description, measurable goals, objectives. And it's then the hiring, uh, then the interview, interviewing process takes place. It, you know, if you don't do those upfront work, then the, then the probability that you're going to hire somebody, uh, uh, that's going to do a great job is uh, it, it's the, it gets the probability goes down. Whereas I think it's the same thing with a consultant. If you come in with a, a, a defined project, a, uh, a uh, measurable goals, then it, it even makes it easier to spend the money because of the, if you say in there, no, listen, uh, I want the consultant to come on to help increase our fundraising by 20%. And you know that you have a million dollar, you know, if you're already doing a million dollars and the, the consultant's going to add another uh, one, you know, $200,000 and the consultant's only charging, 
five thousand dollars, well, that's a huge it's return. A, it's a no, it's a no brainer, right? And plus, you're talking about potentially two hundred thousand dollars the next year, and so on and so forth, when the consultant has completed their task. So it it, it changes your perspective about oh, I only have three thousand dollars, I mean, whatever it is, to spend yeah. on a consultant, right? Well, it changes it. It does something really important too. It gives you more negotiating power because now you know what you really want. So you're only going to buy what you really want. Number two, it creates success metrics because if that consultant doesn't deliver the 200 grand, right, then they didn't really succeed in what they were doing. You wouldn't hire them again. There's a reputation cost. Perhaps you have a contract. I have no idea. And it also helps you prioritize what really is important in yeah. getting it done. You make a great analogy. You wouldn't write a job description to say, well, you're the director of communication, so help us communicate better. And that would be it. There'd be nothing else in the job description. You just, you just wouldn't do that. Yeah. And so I think there's a great, a second step. I don't know if it's great, but a second step that I would suggest, which is after you really decide the scope, the scale, the outcomes, the objectives of what you're trying to do, I would then give some, you know, serious consideration to fit and background. Go back to my intro. Why were they talking to me? You just read my client list, right? I'm not, obviously, I'm not the person who has the experience with small theater companies. And yet I've been hired by small theater companies and I never turn down work if I don't have, right? If I can, every consultant wants the work. But let's say that you don't want to hire someone for a small theater company. Just to use this as an example, let's say it's you know too small a world, or you think somebody from outside would have you know better idea of what's going on, then choose a consultant who has a lot of experience in companies your size, meaning your size of number of employees or your size of budget, so that they have an understanding how an organization of that type might work, even if they're not a quote unquote theater consultant, or let's say you're a hospital. You don't want to choose someone from a hospital for whatever reason. Choose someone from healthcare of an organization the similar size. Because the better a job you do in finding, let's say, a short list of possible matches, the more they're going to want that work and the more negotiating power you have when you get to the budget. So you can see why that I'm, in a way, leaving budget for last. Not that you don't have an idea of how much money you have to spend, but that if you begin there, it does, as you suggest, perhaps limit your thinking, where I'm suggesting you look at your own need, then you look at who's out there who actually can match that need, then you both have something each other wants, and then you can really start talking money. Yeah, I... um you know, I would think uh, that, and you know, it makes some sense too, because I know like when you're hiring people, the highest probability of success, a successful hire uh, is is finding someone who has done the exact work before and been successful at it. That's the highest probability instead of hiring somebody who's never done the work before and uh, never been in the industry, you know, that you, you're, you're taking a bigger chance. So in this case, you know, making sure you understand the consultant's background, um, it, it would allow you to, to, to do a better job of picking the right person, correct? 
Yeah, I think also, absolutely. I think also sometimes there's a little confusion about who the real client is for that consultant. Meaning, is the real client the board? Is the real client the managing director? Um, Is the real client, let's say it's a marketing consultant, you know, the recipients of that information? Is the real client donors? You know, who's the real client in that consulting engagement? I think you yourself as an organization have to be clear on that. And that's a very different way than when you're hiring someone, right, for your staff. You don't really, I mean, you may think, you know, who the boss is. But this is a little different. Who's that? Who's that consultant really working for? Yeah, yeah. Although there have been times when someone has hired, been hired, and they're reporting to more than indirectly reporting to a couple people, right? So, uh, yeah, but I get, I get your point perfectly. You well, know. Speaking, have- about, speaking about it from as a consultant, right? Yeah. I would tell you that although yes, I have multiple clients within an organization, I never forget who's paying me. And so I always have a primary client, even if they're not the ones that I'm interacting with the most. So when you look to hire a client as a nonprofit, make sure that you know who the primary client is. Otherwise, there will be lot. There could be potential for lots of confusion and cross messaging, right? Let's say between the board and the administration, and also make sure that consultant really clicks well with that primary client. And also, if I could just throw one more thing into the pot, Stephen, is that okay? Sure. Of course. Set up expectations very early on for how that consultant communicates progress to you. Yeah. You know, set up the the milestones, set up the mini deliverables, set up we expect to hear from you every 60 months, every, sorry, 60 days or every month, um, whatever it is. Because if you don't set those expectations, I've heard clients say, well, I never hear from that consultant. Well, did yeah. you set your expectations as a client? Well, yeah. no. Wouldn't they know? I'm like, every client's different. So yeah. I think that's an important thing to think through the hiring process as well. So let, let's take a step back before I even at the end, before I do a summary, because so the first step, uh, probably if you're going to, let's type something out, we would type something out, we'd say is first thing is tell us. First thing out about what your nonprofit does, right? This is what our nonprofit does. Okay. Uh, the second step would be is this is the role that we're looking for the consultant to do. It's just general, right? Then the third thing would be is these are the deliverables that we're expecting the consultant to perform. And then the fourth step is, um, this is the communication that we would expect. These are the, this is the follow-up that we would expect from the, um, from the consultant. Uh, all sound accurate? Yeah, I think, I think the only thing that was missing, and you might have, it might have been applied, is what problem are you hiring that consultant to solve? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, yeah, I was going to say that next. I wasn't sure if that in- was incorporated in one of those things that we talked about. But, you know, I think we, you and I would agree that more information is better than less. And then the other thing about this, this is this is like a shared document. So, you know, in other words is, you know, the executive director and the board should have all reviewed this and put their two cents in. 
And that way, everybody's on the same page as far as the, what the consultant's going to be responsible for. Instead of, you know, instead of, you know, the executive director does the whole thing and, you know, starts interviewing all the consultants and then shows the, the board who they're going to hire and never shared that document with them to get buy-in. So, uh, you know, it, it allows you not only to have a better document, but also to get buy-in from everybody agreed. Yeah, I would just, yes, I would add that every executive director knows the problems on his or her board and the alliances on his or his or her board. And so you may want a little, depending on the size of the nonprofit and the size of the problem and the size of your budget, you know, you may need only a buy-in from one or two board members. And that's your document you're discussing. I wouldn't volunteer the whole kitchen sink. Yeah. I would make it a pretty tight document that hopefully you've written in consultation with a couple of critical board members. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you already have that buy-in before it goes to the whole board. Therefore, yeah. the board isn't just picking apart your work. They would have yeah. to be challenging the peers. And that's a whole yeah. different dynamic. Well, keep in mind that, you know, a lot of our listeners are running smaller nonprofits that are under, you know, $3 million, $5 million in revenue a year. So, um, yeah. And so, you know, let's face it, a lot of those type of board members are actually very, very good friends with the executive director. It's not a, 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 a very, great. yeah. So, so I get it, but you're absolutely right. You know, read your board and, you know, you might have someone who's a big on your board, who's a big pain in the neck and you may, you know, maybe you just want the board president and the executive director to, to consult uh, on that. But usually the board president will have a good feel for the way the board uh, is, is if, are they of value, if they're not of value, stuff like that. Um, you know what I, I always found too, that whenever we're hiring a consultant, um, is as a consultant, you may not like this, Nancy. I don't mind. I like things I don't like. Go ahead. (laughs) But you know, sometimes we'll start the process without knowing that we're completely committed to it just so that we can gain some information about, you know, the whole what we're thinking and then we'll interview some consultants and that way we can kind of feel our way through if we really want to move forward, even how we would design the measurable goals, you know, how we would do all this stuff. So there, there are times when we would not complete the document we're talking about until we speak to consultants because they'll help us redefine the project even a little bit better. And I think the consultants don't mind either because they want to be a match, number one. Number two is they like developing relationships, you know, and maybe if it doesn't come around this time, you know, because you were generous with your time, they'll bring you back in next time or refer you to somebody else as well. So it really depends, right, on the person and how much you're asking. I mean, some yes. portion of that process you just described it is absolutely business development. And I've yeah. often found clients have an idea what they want, but they're not sure. And so talking it through with them is absolutely both building a relationship and helping to find the project so you can be successful at it if you're the right person. I think every smart consultant knows when a client is taking advantage of them. Very few clients really do that. Very, very. Yeah, no, I, 
I agree. You, and, and you I, and I think uh, a consultant can recognize it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So no, you know? I don't dislike what you said. I think it's understandable. You want to get some insight into what you're doing and, you know, hear how different people think. And, you know, I would also say, especially given well, any size of organization, maybe even um, more so for your listeners, you know, when you have want to hire a consultant, you know, don't worry about breaking it down into smaller pieces so you can road test them. You know, you don't have to work with someone for five grand. You know, ask them what they could do for a thousand dollars and, you know, given the problem, you know, and it would be interesting to shop that. You know, if you have three people you really like and say, well, let's say we were going to start this project on a smaller scale, what would you do for whatever amount of money? And see how different the answers are. You ever have a situation where a client came to you and said, um, like the example I use, say if you if you rate if you help us to figure out how to raise an extra no, no, this is an example two hundred thousand uh, dollars, we'll give you you know a percentage of that instead of a flat rate. We, well, remember- Remember, that's not the kind of work I do, but I do have friends who do fundraising consulting. Right. And yes, they have been approached that way. Yeah. What What is the type of work that you think you're really geared toward? Oh, I'm geared towards leadership development and teams. And so, you know, specifically someone who stepped into a leadership role and doesn't quite know how to make that transition, um, yeah. as well as how to get disparate teams of, well, disparate individuals to work and align around a common goal and make yeah. progress. You know, the, the, a lot of the uh, guests that I have um, on, on the podcast, um, they, they often have spent their entire careers in nonprofits. And um, what do you, what do you, you know, your, you have experience on both sides of the fence. So on for-profit businesses and nonprofits, what do you think the value is of that? For me personally or for a client? No, for a client, someone who's hiring you. In fact, so let's, let's say you're an executive director. You know you need help with leadership. You, need, you know you need help with maybe um, managing and, and, and those type of skills. Um, and, and they're looking at, at someone like you who has a lot of experience on both sides of the aisle, whereas a, 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 another consultant is just – more experience in nonprofits? Well, I think for the nonprofit client, even though, remember, I've been saying I'm not the best person, you know, I do think the advantage that I bring is I'm very practical and action oriented. I think a lot of nonprofit people whose experience is exclusively nonprofit are more process driven. Mm. Meaning they stick very, they get very deep into process. And that's very good and can be very valuable. And it's not that I kick process to the curb. It's that process is in service to outcome for me. So as you can tell, even by the way I positioned how I think, you know, your listeners should approach this question, it's I like to begin at the end. What do you want it to look like? Now we can figure out the most effective the most um, cost efficient, um, the least broken glass way to get there. Yeah, Even yeah. though there may be roadblocks on the way, let's build a map 
So I tend to be methodical and I'm not saying nonprofit people aren't. I'm just saying that, you know, private companies are far less complicated than nonprofits. Frankly, nonprofits are way more complicated. Um, and, And so you have to be able to balance all these different stakeholder groups who all care passionately about the mission of the organization, but go about it in different ways. So, so what do you do with situations where, you know, the consultant tells you, you know, that he's worked at this place, this place, and this place. And uh, you ask them if, if they can, you know, you tell them what they're doing, what you, let's say you do a great job with telling them what your expectation is and what the project is and what the end result wants, what you want it to look like. How do you verify uh, that they've actually done what they've said that they've done? Well, usually they should have a website. They should have a LinkedIn profile. I mean, so at least you can get that obvious information about who their clients were. I, I always offer references if my clients want to speak to other people, and they should be very happy to give you referrals. Um, if they haven't, I or they don't, they won't, you know, I'd be very hesitant um, to hire them. However, I will say, if you have a really tight budget, you have to remember that you may not get the person with 20 years experience. You may get the person with three. And, you know, frankly, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to put down people like myself who have been working for 20 years. You know, I like to think I'm pretty good at what I do. And, this may be the 10th time I've seen this problem or the 100th time I've seen this problem. But if someone's been out there for three years, if you don't have an extremely unusual situation and you have a very well-defined problem set, you know, they might be able to do it just fine for within your budget. But I would ask, if they say they've accomplished X, Y, Z, I'd say I'd love to talk to two people that you've done that work for. Whom would you recommend? Yeah, yeah. When you, you know, you could always tell how smart somebody is based on the questions they ask, not by what they tell you, right? And that's the same thing that goes with a consultant, you know, um, a consultant, a lot of times you can, a consultant will ask you a question that will go get your rate to the, the heart of the matter very quickly, right? But let me ask you in reverse, when you know that a client is on the ball, and uh, they're asking you questions about yourself. What do you think some of those questions have been that you're like, oh, this person really gets it? Well, I can just tell you from my experience, I'm not sure this goes to your question, but I did have a client say to me once, well, I've, I've heard about you. I know you've done work here. So what makes you so good? Mm-hmm. And I was totally stumped. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have a hard time with questions like that anyway, because for me, it still feels like boasting, no matter how much work I've done about that. Yeah. But well, find, you were given permission, though. <laughs> I know, but just because somebody gives you permission doesn't mean you do it easily, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I see the questions that I find that indicate that a client really gets it is when they're able to balance the world of sort of, let's say, quantitative, be that analytics be that metrics, be that um, what we used to call, because I don't like calling it, it this, the hard stuff, right? As well as 
what we used to call the softer stuff. For example, um, they will think through, let's use your fundraising example. Um, a smart question might be from a client end, well, who do you think our key competitors are? Because they want to know, do you know anything really about them and their industry? Or they might yeah. say, what do you think the obstacles are in our local market? Right. Or how far do you think or how would you then use our current donor base? It would your is your strategy typically to expand them or to go out and find new donors? And if the answer is both, how do you decide how to proceed? You know, questions that kind of dig underneath are the smart ones. And also, yeah. I think questions that are sensitive to working styles. You know, lots of people don't ask that. There are some people who are really methodical and some people shoot from the hip. Well, Putting those two extremes together doesn't always work very well. So I think questions that also aim to undercover, to sorry, uncover some of that are really sharp questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? If, if you had to identify a project that you were asked to work on that went terrible, mm. um, why did it go terrible? That's a very open-ended question. Could you? Be a little more, because there's a million, I mean, there's different reasons why something goes south. Can you say a little bit more about that question? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be just one, but when, you, when you've seen projects that, that have not gone well, the consulting assignments that you've worked on, uh, what, what caused it to not, to not go well? Oh, sure. Well, there are a couple of common denominators. One is not having true management support. Management didn't really care. They were just checking a box or handing off a problem. They had no intention. They had no commitment or no intention to be involved or invested in it really in any way. Yeah. Um, the second thing is lack of clarity about objectives and outcomes. Yeah. Example, yeah. I want to be a better communicator. Well, what does that mean? You want to be better at what? Asking great questions, not interrupting other people, formulating key messages. Yes. Well, no, you have to really sort of, so very vague, fuzzy objectives. And I think the third thing is a lack of consistent practice in the engagement. Using as an opportunity to learn, experiment, assess, refine, start again. You know, the mistake is thinking a consulting engagement is a beginning, a deliverable done. Not necessarily. How are you going to leverage what happened in that engagement? So I think that's a missed opportunity that I think of as a not maybe a failed engagement, but certainly not an engagement that uh, could have been as valuable as it promised. Yeah, I'm going to add a fourth one for to your list uh, that I've seen with friends um, who uh, maybe brought on a consultant, or in, in more cases, this is more coaching related, uh, where someone brought on a coach to Im improve something. Uh, um, leadership, uh, management style, uh, in, you know, it could be a variety of things. And that is commitment from the person that hired you. And, Absolutely. you know, and I think that's, that's one of the things that I've seen where people, you know, don't take, you know, they're, they're so busy running around uh, working in their business. They, they don't, they, they don't, you know, really work hard at what they're trying to improve on that you've been hired to help them with. And, uh, you know, and I think that's where I've seen some friends who brought on coaches and, 
you know, they didn't take it seriously. Uh, I, then you're wasting you know. your money. I mean, I've been yeah. doing coaching work. I fell into it, but I've been doing it for 21 years. Yeah. And if that individual doesn't have skin in the game, then yeah. you, I mean, I've actually pulled out of coaching engagements and given um, the money back a couple of times to the company because I've said, you know, this person's really not interested. You're throwing your money away. Save it. Yeah. Yeah, I had a coach. I had a coach for nine years, and the same oh, coach. Wow. And you know, I'm like a great. I'm a great student. I've heard that a number and number of times in many different areas. In that, you know, when I take things very, very seriously, and if and what was really good, if like, you know, if I said I was going to do something, I do it. You know, and so you know, if we're if me and my coach are, uh, you know, this is a while ago, uh, where our our uh, our agreed to do that. I'm going to do something, you know, next time we meet, it's done, you know? And, you know, so, you know, and I think that that really allowed me to grow, you know, some really great organizations and, and really say, and the reason why I brought on a coach was to improve my, my management and leadership skills, my more, my management uh, skills. That was my weakest strength. uh, uh, We, you know, my weakness, and so happy, helping me better manage people um, was what was what the role of that consultant was uh, or coach. Now it changed over time because I certainly didn't need nine years to become a better manager, but um, you know certainly a couple of years. Um, but uh, you know, but that's I just want to mention that because from personal experience. Now I had like another friend who my same coach I recommended him to her. He stayed with her for six months, and when I heard from him, like kind of what, what went on, I could tell he wasn't, he, he didn't follow through on what was being asked of him. And I was like, well, you just wasted six months of, yeah. of consulting. So yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I mean, is there, we have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that you want to add kind of to conclude the t- this, this whole idea about how to hire a consultant? Well, I guess the only thing I'd end with is that if it isn't going well, don't hope it gets better by itself. You know, uh, sit down with the person, be honest and candid about what your expectations are and where you think it isn't working and ask how you can help the consultant. You know, sometimes consultants need help too. Um, sometimes it's a bandwidth issue. You know, if you're hiring a consultant, given the size of the organization that your listeners are with, they're often uh, doing more than one project, they hope, at the same time. So some of it might be a bandwidth issue, might be juggling, but I'd say the more communication you have, the better, especially if you see something not going right. Don't hesitate. Yeah. I, you know, Nancy, I really like what you said. Um, you know, I didn't know where this podcast was exactly going to go, but you, I did you not hit, either. <laughs> yeah. And I, but I knew it was an important topic and, um, and I think that yeah, this whole idea of being prepared before you bring on the consultant to know what the deliverables, just to repeat all the things we talked about, mm. to know what their objective is, know what the deliverables are, know how they're going to communicate with you uh, and how often, uh, you know, all of those things that we spoke about, you, such an important part of, of bringing on the right person. And uh, so I think that this could really help I hope um, so. Oh, Stephen, I just had one more thing I just thought of. I hadn't thought yeah. of it before, despite the notes I made for our conversation, which is when you're putting together your objectives and your outcomes and all of that, 
be sure you figure out how much of your own staff time they'll have to devote to this project. Because, no, your consultant will need information and material and resources, and they're going to go to people within your organization to get that. And you may not have thought about how much time that may or may not take up, because that will be additional work for the staff you already have. So just be sure you think that through and check that box during your process. Yeah, and I think the consultant would appreciate it too, knowing that they're going to have to work with a couple of other people. Correct. Yes, and they're not bothering them, but it's all been baked into the way everyone's going to work together. Yeah. Um, I know know if you had everything together that we just discussed, the consultant that you're going to bring on board is going to be pretty impressed. (laughs) <laughs> I right. really would be, but just think about it. You're, you are making their job easier, but don't yeah. think of it that way. Think of it as the fact that your money will be well spent and you're going to get what you're paying for. Well, so I think that's- You'll be happier as, a, as yeah. an organization. Well, I think it's very obvious that that's what's going to happen. And it's a good way to use a consultant, let me tell you. Yeah, I hope you so. Know? Yeah. Good. So I'd like to thank Nancy Halpern from uh, Political IQ for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you liked today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Nancy, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? I have a podcast as well called Political IQ on iTunes and Spotify. Look me up on LinkedIn, Nancy Halpern, and my website is getpoliticaliq.com. Great. Fantastic. And I want to thank all our listeners today for making the world a better place. We all need you to do that. We all need to do our part. I'm trying to do my part. I'm sure Nancy's trying to do her part as well. And we all need to be, remember, we're all connected. So again, thank you listeners for doing uh, the hard work that we all need to kind of do ourselves. And everybody have a fantastic day. Summer's coming. I'm sure we're all excited about that. Yippee! And uh, please <laughs> stay you, safe. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. 